Hey, before we start this next episode of B&Q, I just want to take a moment and say that we are dedicating this week's episode to Adam West. Uh, what an amazing legend who made Batman the lovable hero for countless generations and also for his work on Family Guy and so many other works. Uh, this week's episode is not really about anything that Adam West did. As you can, as you're about to hear, it's about Fallout and the Elder Scrolls. Uh, but thank you very much, Adam West, and we will miss you. Enjoy the show. Never changes. Whether you're shooting down a dragon or killing a Myrlurk, you always end up sending something into oblivion. Whether you shout or sneak, shoot or stab, war causes something to break either your soul or your opponent's neck. But war, war never changes. It only changes in how we fight it. That's my best Ron Perlman impression. Uh, but if you recognize any of that, you could tell that we're talking about two of the biggest gaming franchises out there right now. Fallout, because War Never Changes, and The Elder Scrolls, the twin titans of Bethesda Software. But which one is better? That's a loaded question, and it sounds like it's the perfect question for Big Nerdy Questions. Hello again, welcome to B&Q, I'm Josh. And with me to answer this panel tonight, we have Matt, as always. You put entirely too much effort into that monologue. Well, I do what I can for our listeners. <laughs> uh, and Jason, welcome to B&Q. Uh, we are excited to have you make your podcast debut with us. Oh, this sounds like it's going to be fun. <laughs> we hope so, and we hope our listeners agree. Uh, and I, I do want to say I had to put the effort in. Uh, Matt, because this is the first episode being released after JP's takeover of the show. Uh, he has decided to leave us this week and has gone off to a PBS Kids Con. Uh, he is signing autographs with Barney the Dinosaur, uh, holding Thor's hammer. Uh, so for everyone who wants a photograph of JP with Barney the Dinosaur and Thor's hammer... Please send him your autograph request at Potatoes of Shame on Twitter. Uh, and JP, he's never living that down. Uh, a few weeks ago, JP, one of our uh, regulars who's not on this episode tonight, uh, decided that Barney the Dinosaur was in fact worthy to yield Mjolnir. Uh, so it, it's it actually made sense in the context of the show, but he is never living that down. Well, I'm still not letting go of him giving SpongeBob the hammer, okay? True, although you, sir, did give it to Zoidberg. He met the criteria. But you didn't give it to Jar Jar. You stuck to your guns. No, no. <laughs> uh, and by the way, we're still getting in the data from last week's uh, episode on the uh, Mount Rushmore of genre television. We will let you know the winners as soon as we have them. Uh, but we will be doing more Mount Rushmore episodes in the coming weeks. But tonight, the topic at hand is the Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Before we get into our discussion of the topic, Matt, who's our sponsor tonight? Well, Josh, tonight's episode is brought to you by Dovacane. Dovacane. Just Thume. That was very clever. Well done, sir. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, and our big nerdy recommendation tonight... Uh, since JP took that slot from me two weeks in a row, I feel obliged to do it myself. Uh, and tonight, it's actually fitting because I just finished a sci-fi book that I can't rave enough about. One of my favorite science fiction, hard science fiction authors is a man by Robert J. Named Robert J. Sawyer. Uh, I think he's Canada's best author. Uh, much apologies to any other Canadian authors listening. Uh, but his many novels are amazing. Flash Forward is probably his most famous work. But particularly tonight, I want to recommend one of his more obscure works called Starplex. I feel like this was his attempt to do a more realistic version of what Star Trek could be. 
sort of a crossover with Stargate, except he did it before Stargate existed. Uh, you have a crew of humans working with two other sentient races, much like Mass Effect would take later, who have very different opinions about priorities. I was especially enamored with the construction of all, of, uh, all the races, including dolphins as a fourth race uh, in this particular universe. And the whole plot is not based on military uh, things. But it's based instead on discovery of new solar systems, new kinds of life, and it gives us an answer to what is dark matter in the most creative manner I have ever seen in any work written or on screen. Uh, so I cannot recommend it enough. If you are into hard sci-fi like myself, please go out and find Starplex by Robert J. Sawyer. You won't be disappointed. And now, something completely different. We are now going to tackle The Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Now, we could just say which is the better game. We could all list our opinions and go home. But this is not a big nerdy quickie. We may have those down the line. This is a big nerdy question, which means we're going to tackle it with a little bit more of a methodology. We're going to tackle it in several different uh, criteria components, and we're going to go in order. So I'll let you all listeners know we're going to take it in these five categories. Story. Setting. Character creation, i.e., to what extent is it a true RPG experience, gameplay mechanics, and intangibles, which would include things like the inventory management, looting system, leveling up, etc. Those are our five area of criteria, and as far as what games are eligible, any Elder Scrolls game and any Fallout game is eligible for our discussion. So we're talking the Elder Scrolls games from Arena, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim, and I haven't played the online version, but it's open to uh, editions if people have. We also are talking the Fallout games from 1, 2, Fallout Tactics, Fallout 3, New Vegas, and Fallout 4. I should mention out at the gate that while we did say these are Bethesda's twin uh, titans, it's not entirely true to say that Fallout is entirely Bethesda's creation. There are a lot of different studios that have been involved in Fallout over the years, and Bethesda wasn't the initial creator of Fallout. Uh, Oblivion uh, Entertainment famously made uh, the New Vegas spinoff. So the Bethesda owns the rights to the Elder Scrolls and Fallout and have made games in both franchises, but I don't want anyone to have the opinion that we're saying Bethesda should get all the credit for both franchises because it is more complex. With that caveat out of the way, let's get into the meat of our discussion and first tackle the story of uh, each series as a whole and also particular stories from game to game. Uh, Jason, since you are our guest, I will let you start. When you think of story, um, do you give the edge to the Elder Scrolls or Fallout and why? Ooh, loaded question indeed. I think probably... The Elder Scrolls would be my preference, but it's a very close line since both games have a progressive story occurring in the world. There's a timeline that's consistent. I just feel the Elder Scrolls is a little more connected with events affecting the next game's events and setting the stage. Mm-hmm. But it's a fine line. But of course, that's also overarching. That's true. Each individual game, your mileage may vary. You know, and I exactly. Think, for example, for example, I have seen, I've done some research ahead of time of some people's opinions on this question, and there are a lot of fans of the Elder Scrolls who think the stories peaked at Morrowind, and the story has gotten progressively less hefty on, as we go to Oblivion and then to Skyrim. With some some critics actually saying Skyrim is quote so pretty you forget there's not a story. Think that's a fair criticism. I feel that's a little harsh. I would actually say Oblivion was the least interesting in some ways, but the over I would I would I would agree with the Marwin being the top out of the, especially the last three games, for story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would too, Matt. I know that you have a an Elder Scrolls experience. Uh, what do you think well, about I, the Elder Scrolls <clears throat> stories? Well, first of all, I would like to say that you know. <clears throat> I, I haven't played as much Fallout as you guys, because frankly, most people haven't played as much Fallout as you guys. But, you know, I, 
I have to admit, I, I've spent a lot of time watching Rachel play Fallout, and it does have a really good story, but I really think that the Elder Scrolls, much much like Jason said, it feels more interconnected from game to game, and you can you can kind of actually see the impact of previous games on the newer games, mm-hmm. and... I admit I, pl- I play with mods, one of which actually puts uh, old destroyed Oblivion gates uh, in Skyrim, uh, left over from the Oblivion Crisis, which they refer to several times in the game. But <clears throat> I think a lot of people really give the story of Skyrim short shrift, because I will admit the, the main storyline itself, it's, not as, it's certainly not as long as Morrowind's, but it also has the completely separate major storyline with the Civil War that you can pick either side or just choose not to participate in. And I, I played the game for over 400 hours before I actually beat it. <laughs> I, 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 I may have an addiction. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no. So we have to know, then, Nord... Or Imperial? I actually... Uh, I went with the Imperials in the Civil War for the sake of <clears throat> actually keeping the Empire together. Because there's <clears throat> there's actually some threads you can pull in different spots in the game that reveals that... And remember, listeners, we don't avoid spoilers here on B&Q. The entire Civil War was actually essentially a black op by the Almeri Dominion to weaken Skyrim for invasion. The, dun, the goal was dun, dun. Yeah, the, the goal was to basically throw it into chaos, completely you know, shatter the defenses of Skyrim from the inside, and then just come in, take over Skyrim, and use it to slowly take over <coughs> the uh, the actual king the Empire. Yeah, I, I do like the Skyrim Civil War storyline. I actually think I prefer the Civil War storyline more than the Dragonborn storyline, but that could just be because I'm a historian that likes looking at military history. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the thing that really draws me towards Fallout, is the alternative history, alternative future. Yeah, and that's I think i got to come in here, and I'm going to pick Fallout for my preferred story, First of all, preference, everyone listening to this show by now knows that I am the sci-fi guy. Like, of everyone on B&Q, we all like fantasy and sci-fi, but I am the most heavily leaning towards science fiction. That said, I really get into the Fallout stories when I'm playing them. And one of... Fallout 3, I've said this before on the show, was the first AAA title I played aside from Nintendo platforms and sports games. Fallout 3 made me a gamer in the modern sense of the word. And the story for Fallout 3 imprinted on me so much because, and I read someone say, I read a defense of Fallout today and someone posted and said, the storyline for Fallout 3 is so resonant because it's familiar yet also frightening because it's a city that we all know with landmarks we all recognize, but at the same time the story is about finding your father, and finding clean water. It's family and a basic need for survival. And you push and push and push for that survival, even though the environment itself is trying to kill you. Um, The storyline goes through a lot of twists and turns, and I really do like it. I like the story for Fallout 4. I like the Institute, and I really like the railroad storyline. Again, I'm a historian. Of course I like the railroad storyline. Honestly, though, the two best stories in the Fallout universe are Fallout 2 and Fallout New Vegas. Fallout 2 revolutionized what a Western RPG was supposed to be because it truly let you take the story in any direction you wanted, good or bad. Uh, And whereas New Vegas, there are so many different kinds of factions that you can join for the story. It's really rather complex especially when you get into the administration of the city of New Vegas. And with the fight between Caesar's Legion and the New California Republic, 
Yeah, I really like the story of New Vegas. So as much as I love the stories of the Elder Scrolls, I have to rep Fallout on this particular bullet point. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, but so right now it's two to one after story. Any other thoughts on the story before we move on to setting? Uh, the one thing I'd say is that I definitely would agree with both of you about the Civil War being an interesting story to do alongside the main campaign. But I'm also fascinated by the idea that while the main Dragonborn campaign may not be quite the most engaging, the implications that dragons are back, because that's not going away. Alduin may be dead, but plenty of dragons got raised and are likely spreading back across Tamriel. That's true. I'd be interested to see if they could incorporate something like that into the kind of character you created in Morrowind, if you see where I'm going with that. The kind of uh, demigod power. (laughs) Uh, it'd be interesting to see what you could do if you had the, if you were on the same side as the dragons. Uh, you could be Khaleesi in the Elder Scrolls, which would be fun. That that would be pretty fun. Uh, but speaking of you know the world building, I think the next point we're getting to is setting. So this point also includes uh, graphics and how much you think the game looks good, but also when you're playing it. How engrossed do you feel in the environment? How much does it feel alive? How much does it add to the gameplay and add to the story? Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. For setting, Fallout franchise or Elder Scrolls, and why? That's extremely hard. Uh, But uh, I'd like to address setting and world building separately, which sounds, sounds weird, but hear me out. Because... For setting, I actually give it to Fallout. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, yes, I'm I'm a historian, I absolutely love history, and I I especially enjoy looking at how the people within the game, how they cope with the, the massive records loss, having just little bits of information here and there about history and how they try to adapt that to form their cohesive narrative, which, you know, we, we see this in in our society everywhere from the classroom to the political arena, people building this narrative that supports their view and trying to use, you know, history to, to do that. So it's really interesting to see it in this post-apocalyptic setting because it really it really kind of when we're looking at it, you know, we, we see a lot of the things that, you know, have happened throughout the history of our society as to how people have this strange relationship with history itself. And that so that gives me like a, a big push towards Fallout on it. Because it's fascinating, and they do re- they do a lot of work to keep it consistent between the games. Like uh, Pres- President Abraham Lincoln wrote the Declaration of Independence, and, and yeah, that <laughs> and all that. And uh, or I'm sorry, Abraham Washington, I think they called him. Yes, yeah, yeah, Abraham. They called him Abraham Washington. Well, one of the best side quests in Fallout. Three is finding the head from the Lincoln Memorial and restoring its place. Uh, that's a, I love that side quest. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I, I would kind of treat it as the objective of the game, just as a whole. <laughs> like, oh boy, he's getting his nugget back. It's happening. Hashtag Abraham Nugget. You heard it here first, folks. But th- th- that that's not to you know dump on the setting for for Elder Scrolls, but I, I think for Elder Scrolls it's really more about the building of the world, because yeah, they they are extremely consistent with their lore. They, they go to exceptional lengths. A lot of the books that you can read in Skyrim, those books were, were actually in Arena and Daggerfall as readable books. Uh, a lot of these books go way back. And I think that you're right in the sense that The Elder Scrolls perhaps is a little stronger world-building, 
but Fallout is a little stronger pure setting as far as yeah. creating an atmosphere and environment that is unique. Um, Jason, what's your take on that? Well, i got to say I'm actually with you both on that. Fallout, I think Fallout's strength is that it needs to sell its setting to you. If you're not accepting that you're in a post-apocalyptic America, then it's not doing its job. But yeah. it does do that beautifully. Mm-hmm. And even, I, go ahead. Even from Fallout 1 and 2, when it was top-down third person, those environments, the dungeons, everything just spoke for that. Add first person in, and suddenly it's you creeping down there, wondering if a ghoul's around the next corner in that broken-down subway station. Which, as an aside, like, I love Fallout 1 and 2 are masterpieces, but has there ever been a gaming franchise where the gaming experience of playing it changed so much from going to 2D and 3D, but both are consistently good? Maybe Mario. Uh, but Maybe. Like, Fallout is so good on 2D and 3D, but the experience is much more visceral in 3D and in first person. Just a bit. Just a wee yeah. bit. Also, but, uh, go ahead. But as, as far as world building, it's tie for me. I love both games are ever expanding because they both have huge canvases. I mean, Fallout has covered California, some of Colorado, Nevada, Washington, Boston. There's still plenty of the U.S. to expand into. And Elder Scrolls is also still actually writing its world. We know the names of the other, quote, regions, but until they choose to make a game there, sky's the limit for exactly yeah. what kind of environments you'd encounter. And we've seen some of the like major landmarks in some of those regions in the Elder Scrolls Online, but nothing mm-hmm. as detailed as like in Skyrim or Morrowind or Oblivion. So you're right, until they make a, a singular game in that region... It's just the highlights. We don't have the, the nitty-gritty detail yet, although who knows what they could fill in. I mean, it's a blank canvas. Exactly. And I do have to make a shout-out for Fallout 3. There was an ex- a DLC called The Pit, so we've seen part of Pittsburgh, <laughs> uh, which is something that's odd, but it, it happened. <laughs> um, it did. You can debate on whether or not it was a good expansion, but that's not the point of this particular discussion. I also want to briefly talk about with with setting the music of oh, both goodness, franchises. Yes. The music for both is iconic. I I personally, and this is going to be a weird thing with music, I prefer the music of Fallout because it really creates the atmosphere, but I am more impressed by the music from Skyrim because they compose it themselves and it's so evocative. Of the, of the environment. It makes you feel like you're in a work as epic as The Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson. So even though I more appreciate the 40s and 50s songs from Fallout, I'm more impressed by the Skyrim tracks. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I Much like uh, Matt, I play with mods, and one of the mods I always get is a backlog of the music from the previous games. <laughs> but it still works. Yeah. Even it doesn't matter that it's Fallout 4, Fallout 2's that nice rolling soundtrack of wandering across the main map when you're strolling through the wasteland there still works. Yeah, I've actually gotten a mod for Fallout 4 that's uh over 100 public domain songs of that genre from the 30s and 40s. Uh oh, so it, I it get that. It expands the the radio. It also cuts out some of the banter once you've heard it. This, like It minimizes how often you hear the same thing on the radio. It'll mm. let it through if it's a new thing, but if it's the same thing you've heard 40 times, it'll just go to the next, which is nice after a while. Yes, I've got similar filters in place. <laughs> this is 3-Dog, and you're listening to no, Galaxy no, News not. Radio. Like... <laughs> Although, to be fair, I prefer 3-Dog over... Uh, Wayne Newton, and I prefer that over the really timid guy in Fallout 4. I mean, you can fix that. Yes, you can. There's a side quest where you can make him not so timid, which is nice. I do, I did like that. Of course, it sucks that I didn't find that side quest until 100 hours into the game. Did you guess? When I went to Diamond City, I didn't find the bar for some reason until I went back like 
Someone sent me back way late in the game. <laughs> I, I didn't find the uh, Shakespeare guys until late in the game. <laughs> we, uh, we really do put an unhealthy number of hours into these games, don't we? Yes, we I do. Don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> in, in fact, we have to make a lot of effort into our character creation, which is our, a great segue for our, our next point. The crux oh. of an RPG is your own character. You're playing the game through his or her eyes, or its eyes if you're playing as the cat creature in the Elder Scrolls. Uh, um, Ouch. So, hey, nobody's perfect. Oh. I'll slap you. <laughs> uh, it's okay, I'll just cough up a hairball. Moving on. Uh, so, For the, love. the character creation is really important. Which franchise do you think does a better job overall of character creation? Elder Scrolls or Fallout? Jason, I'll start with you this one. Oh, jeez. None of these are easy questions. That's why they're called the big nerdy questions, my friend. Well, so, all right. When I create characters, personally, I always develop a theme, a mindset of the way that character is going to play. I've been called an altaholic by my friends, just because a guy has 23 characters in Skyrim doesn't mean anything. That's that, that's pretty normal, I thought. Exactly. Precisely. Exactly. But I, I like that option because, one, it lets you explore the game. But both games do that really well. Because even as much as sometimes in the Fallout series... Actually, let me rephrase it this way. I definitely prefer the Elder Scrolls when it comes to freedom of your character, because they always start you in that nice classic, you're a guy, you don't know what you did, but you're in jail, in one form or another. <laughs> Whereas you, you Fallout, done screwed up. <laughs> exactly. But you're left to write that canvas, however you see it in your head. Wrongfully, rightfully, whatever. Fallout usually starts you with a certain degree of purpose. Even Fallout 2, you were, you know, the guy who drew the short straw, but you were still your vault's hope. You were thrown out there, sorry, Fallout 1, you were thrown out there to find a solution. Fallout 2, you're the savior of your village. Fallout 3, find your dad, etc. Fallout New that, Vegas, you're the courier, figure out what happened, where your message is. And that was probably yeah. the freest any Fallout game's ever been. It was, and it wasn't even that free, but it was the freest because... The, the mission was pretty much you could either walk all the way to Vegas and figure out what happened, or you could park yourself the other way and go to the NCR outpost and join Caesar's Legion and never look back. Exactly. Heck, you could even play that your that was your character from Fallout 3 after things ended, and you just walked off into the sunset and wound up there. If your character walked from the Capital Wasteland to New Vegas, that's pretty damn impressive. Exactly. <laughs> so... Aside from that, everything else to me is details. Can you make a good-looking character? Yeah, of course you can. Both games allow that freedom to really develop something interesting and play it your way. Yeah, and, and of course Fallout 4 has been much... That's one of the things that's been praised for it, is it's really detailed character looks generator, where they got rid of sliders and you can manipulate every single part of the face at a very minute level. Um, and, and I mean, I think there are some artists, quote-unquote... Whose, their specialty is making characters in the Fallout engine. Uh, and I've seen some really impressive celebrity lookalikes in the Fallout engine. Yeah. I've also seen Macho Man Randy Savage in Skyrim, so <laughs> as a dragon. So you can do that too, but, you know. Don't forget Thomas the Tank Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you've seen that video. I have. Yes. <laughs> They need to blink. It's it's creepy if they don't blink. <laughs> okay, now I'm picturing the weeping angels in place of the dragons, and it's kind of badass. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Actually, <laughs> replace the Falmer with the weeping angels. Oh, oh, oh my god! Oh god, no! <laughs> Just, you're a terrible human being for even suggesting that. And if you are going to get along pretty well, want to do that? Please <laughs> go ahead and give it your best shot. Care of Stephen Moffat, Cardiff, Wales, UK. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on character creation? See, for me, character creation is... To, to me, it's absolutely inseparable from leveling and character development. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really specific on this. Between 
Elder Scrolls, and Fallout. I honestly think the best character creation and best leveling system goes to Oblivion. Huh. And the reason I say this is because, you know, I'm I, I'm somewhat of a tabletop gamer. I, I'm a D&D guy. I DM. And character creation and advancement in Oblivion feels a lot like D&D 3.5 and Pathfinder to me. And I really like that system. I'm with you on that one. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing D&D for so long that having that system be so similar to it for, for me personally, it's just, it enhances the game because you feel like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons in this gigantic, super massive campaign where you're the only player. Yeah, you so. Kind of just described Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim there, though. <laughs> yeah. But, you, but, the, but, but the leveling mechanics but, yeah, of Oblivion. Yeah, the, the particular character mechanics in Morrowind are closer to Oblivion than Skyrim's are. Uh, Skyrim's really felt kind of simplified. Yeah, fair enough. But Morrowind's was really good, but I felt like there wasn't enough customization of the character in Morrowind, but it it had the right kind of system, and I felt like Oblivion had that right mix. So you're giving character creation to Elder Scrolls, um... And just for yes. cleaning up, uh, Jason, did you give it to Elder Scrolls overall as well because of the, the slightly more freedom? Yeah. I think I'm going to give it to Elder Scrolls 2 on this one, Clean Sweep. And I, I like the character creation in Fallout, but it, you do have a little more freedom in the Elder Scrolls. I mean, Fallout 4 is the most technically advanced because it's the newest. But in the Elder Scrolls games, you do have a little more freedom with character creation with the proviso that New Vegas and Fallout, you can be a little bit more lenient the thing is what i've wanted most as a fallout player since fallout 3 they haven't given us yet and that is the ability to play as a ghoul huh i want to play fallout as a ghoul who wasn't in stasis but has lived the 200 years since the bomb went off and has accumulated 200 years worth of memories and misdeeds and is now having to pay the penance for not a feral ghoul Let's make that clarification. A ghoul uh, who maybe even runs, kind of like Hancock, runs a community in Boston, but the vault you can be living in is a vault of ghouls uh, when you come out. I want to play as that character. It would be a fantastic metaphor for prejudice. It'd be a great gameplay mechanic because your charisma, you could either choose to put all your points in charisma to counteract the fact that you are a ghoul, or you could put a lot of your points into strength and perception and just be like, I don't care what everyone thinks. I'm just going to go out there and kill people and basically be like Mortal Kombat's Baraka with a ghoul. Uh, but you have the choice. That's what I want. I don't have it. By default, Elder Scrolls wins. I would play the crap out of that. Yeah? Well, in that sense, <laughs> you probably would have liked Fallout Tactics. I, I, I've got Fallout Tactics somewhere. I need to actually install the thing and play it. Yeah, I mean, you could play as a ghoul in Tactics, right? Uh, um, technically, no. Okay. Well, Tactics the tactics allowed you to work with ghouls, have ghoul characters you controlled, and, because you control the development of your squad. Yeah, So okay. you're effectively okay. playing them. See, I, I, th- I like that, but I would love to have a full Fallout first-person experience from the ghoul's perspective. No, fair enough. Or even a super mutant. Oh, that would be fantastic, too. I would love that. And if you had the choice, that would be great. I mean, Wait, can, can I make my super mutant green? If they're in yes. California, yeah, of course. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know. I'd, I have, think, I, I'd have to name him Bruce Banner. Of course, eventually some modder would let you make a superhuman behemoth with a heart of gold as your character. Uh, <laughs> which would be entertaining until you start not being able to get into all the settings because of the glitches moving on. <laughs> and that's Speaking a great of glitches. That's a great say. Yeah. Great segue to our fourth uh, category. Gameplay. Gameplay includes combat, exploration mechanics, fast travel mechanics, 
crafting. So basically, if it if it happens on the screen, it's not something that happens in a menu like leveling up or choosing perks. That'll be later with intangibles. But this is basically, if it's happening on screen and you're doing it with a button input, it's gameplay. So, Matt, I will start with you. Uh, do you prefer the hacking and sneaking and sh- and bow shooting of Fallout? Or, sorry, of Elder Scrolls? Or do you prefer the VATS slow motion gore of Fallout? I- I'm going I'm to throw something in the direction of Oblivion again. And I promise I'm not trying to rely entirely on Oblivion for my arguments. But there is one aspect of gameplay in Oblivion which I think is the best the best game mechanic ever put in an RPG. Wow. And that is Frostcrag Spire. Because it lets you make your own spells. Oh my god. So much fun. Like, <laughs> I... I am not even actually going to admit to you how many hours I spent just derping around in Frostcrag Spire, working up completely absurd spells. Uh, Fortunately, Rachel's not on the show tonight, but she went up in there and created a chain lightning spell that was so incredibly powerful, it killed an entire town. (laughs) So she fired it once. So her character was named Palpatine, right? No, this thing would have killed Palpatine. (laughs) It it killed literally everyone in the entire town, any living thing. It dropped every single guard. She fired it once. It used all of her magicka, and she was an insanely high level. I did that in Morrowind to say to Neen with a plague spell. Nice. <laughs> That's way better than taking an arrow to the knee. That's nothing compared to what I did to the other town. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, so I get from what you're saying that you like to be a magic character that uh, wields the elemental powers and shows no mercy. Oh, balls to that. I just like breaking stuff. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> We've known that. You've told us that from the beginning. If there's a way to break it, you'll find it. Hey, it's how I learned. <laughs> it's called experimental learning. Look, some people collect stamps, some people drive race cars, and some people see how they can break various systems in the most violent manner possible. Basically what you did is create a Mortal Kombat fatality engine in Oblivion. Yeah, pretty much. I tip my hat to you, sir. I regret nothing. <laughs> it's electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. No regrets. <laughs> uh, Jason, what do you think about yes. gameplay? Well, I definitely am with Matt on the creating spells, because that was the thing Oblivion kept from Morrowind, and in Morrowind it was also insane. Like I said, I made a, a plague spell that wiped out Sedanine. Walked in, let it loose, watched everyone fall over. But the masterpiece for me of what I could create was Fort Pelagate's fate. A little dinky place in the middle of nowhere that always dragged you there with the Imperial spells and left you with no means of transportation except walking. I turned them all to stone. (laughs) Now, that requires a point of explanation because there actually was no petrification. But since Marwin, you didn't have the animations for people to fall down... If someone was, quote, prone, they were usually stuck standing, but immobile. I cast a spell that took away everyone's strength to zero. (laughs) So, as you looked around, there were all these people just standing there. If you got close to them, they could swing at you out of, of, you know, spite. But otherwise, it was a perfect stillness. (laughs) Now... To properly answer the question, <laughs> I I definitely like mechanics that let you craft and build something unique within the game's limitations. And for me, magic is great, but I also really look to combat. If I'm not being threatened by the guy with a giant two-handed sword or the minigun, uh, then we're losing something in the atmosphere. So 
on that end, I actually have to get a little annoyed with Oblivion. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> because what always frustrated me with Oblivion is when you got to high level, it seemed like everything leveled perfectly with you. So suddenly, goblin caves were nothing but chieftains and high priests. The bandits were wearing green glass armor with the highest degree weapons. The whole group, not just the leader. <laughs> that progression always messed with things. But, to be fair, Skyrim and Marwyn both didn't have that problem. And Fallout only sort of had that problem. Mods <laughs> fixed that. Yes. But, if we're excluding mods, even the new Fallout um, survival mode has got to be one of my favorite innovations. The way it built on New Vegas is, that concern that, oh, I'm moving around the in the wasteland. Oh, I'm thirsty. Huh, I'm a little slower on the draw now, and a bandit sees me. Oh dear, he's got friends. They've got guns. Those guns will actually put me down if they get a good shot on me. Where's my cover? That really ups the ante for me, and so I find that to be very important. The problem is, both games do that really well. But, if I had to give one the other, as far as exploration, crafting, I go Fallout. Because... The crafting, I think, especially with the way 4 expanded on it, the breaking down, the really using the trash you find for purpose, that feels perfectly in the game stream. Both in and terms expo- of settlement as well as building new uh, weapons and armor. Exactly. And exploration, I also give the fallout in the same vein. There's something about exploring the devastation. I mean, Fallout 3 was probably the picture-perfect version of that. We all know D.C., whether it's through books, pictures, or having gone there. To see that place devastated, to see what they did when they played with how to make it look, mm-hmm. is both haunting and beautiful. The only city in the United States that could even come close would be if they set it in New York. Oh, boy. Um, but I don't know if they want to go that route. It'd be an undertaking. Yeah, although I... I could be wrong, but I believe I've read in some of the extended canon that is somewhat official, but not entirely. New York was the epicenter of the biggest bomb, so much of New York is just gone. If that's the case, then that's obviously not a, a feasible choice within the established parameters of the Fallout universe. So we shall see. But as a brief aside, I think the most the most rumored location for the next Fallout game is New Orleans. Darn. Um, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. Uh, I did see that there was a copyright claim on Fallout New Orleans like last year, but there's been no other indication other than that. You say, darn, where, where were you hoping it to land? Um, okay, so neither of you has played Fallout Tactics, correct? No. I, I played it briefly uh, back when years started with a one. Huh. Okay, noted. So, Tactic, and this is important to explain, Tactics is one of the unique games because, A, you get to play as the Brotherhood, which is a really fun experience. It's, But it's not the Brotherhood we know in the games. It's a splinter group that tried to move east, got lost, and crashed up north. They've been cut off for all the intervening time, all the way up to Fallout 4, because they confirmed it with the reunion of the Eastern Western, but they even say that they don't know what happened to those guys. But you know from tactics that they they prospered. They thrived. But they also changed. So even though the Enclave's gone, there is another power of the same level, an inclusive power that uses ghouls, super mutants, as recognized equals. Which is counter to the Fallout 4 Br- Brotherhood's mission. Exactly. So I was hoping the game would move in that direction so we might interact with that sleeping power that would be fantastic and a great city for that if you're going to look for the combination of east and west would be either chicago or st louis Ex- yeah, exactly i was kind or of hoping detroit, chicago because it already looks like that you know detroit hmm. would actually be interesting because you could work with a lot of the motor city theme yeah oh and big time. if they incorporated driving into a fallout game think about how much that could expand the size of the map yeah. uh if it was done right <laughs> well, that's always the question. Like, for example, I love the environment of L.A. Noir um, from Rockstar, but the driving mechanics in it, 
you're not very good, and it really hurts the game because you have to drive from crime scene to crime scene. So, like, in my mind, a Fallout with driving is just like Skyrim with riding a horse, but I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah. the, the trouble I would have <clears throat> with, uh, at least with, with using St. Louis as a setting, you know, I, I grew up in St. Louis, full disclosure here. Uh, the St. Louis metro area is geographically enormous. It, it is absolutely gigantic as far as square mileage. And even now, with vehicles and public transportation, it's kind of a pain in the butt to get around. Trying to adapt that to the Fallout universe, the post-apocalyptic, everything's falling to crap, fall apart. And just the sheer number of bridges in the area... I th- I honestly think it would be a Herculean task to actually try and build that environment into the game. And even then, moving around within it would be such a gigantic time sink. I think it would hurt gameplay. That makes sense. But there are uh, ways around that. There are. I mean, they did that with DC they and Boston. They and really Morrowind. Com- yeah, they compacted a lot of the things together that shouldn't have otherwise been compacted. Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they can take license, but I do agree with your point. Yeah, it's like the, the St. Louis metro area. Just to give you an idea, most people consider the arch to be that center point. So at the arch, right up, uh, not not far south of where the Missouri Mississippi rivers meet, going straight west, you're looking at almost 50 miles straight west. It's still part of the metro. Wow. It's. It is genuinely an enormous area. Although, Matt, you have to admit, if Fallout 5 allowed you to have Provel cheese as a health item, you would like that. I would play the crap out of that game. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, now, if you, like, pre-order and they give you, like, a a thing of toasted ravioli with your pre-order, I'd buy, like, ten copies of the game. The art. I, 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 I'm having withdrawals, man. <laughs> what if your vault was like inside the arch? Your vault would be destroyed. <laughs> uh, the, the, other the, kind the, of... the flood of '93 caused some pretty serious damage under the arch. Uh, I would hate to see what a new would do. Lurks. No, um The other kind of game I want for Fallout, I just briefly mentioned. What if there was a Fallout game done in the style of Resident Evil, survival horror? Um, I mean, like pure, like a very small, very small area, but you're and you don't, but you don't have weapons. You're just having to survive against a band of feral ghouls, a couple of raiders, like so. Not an RPG, like a very well-directed, well-crafted story. What about New Vegas's DLC, the uh, hotel? That's pretty much it. Yeah, you're right. Because that's what honestly, I liked about that a, one. Honestly, that sounds like how I end up every single time I play three, and <laughs> I wind up, I'll wind up in a supermarket, and I'll have a gun, and it'll have like one, two bullets in it. And yeah. So and, uh, what I is? I am not good at these games. <laughs> what is the scarier experience? Being ambushed by a dragon in Skyrim. Are being ambushed by a death claw in Fallout. I have a, I have a really, really hyper specific answer for this. The first time I played Fallout Three, very first time I ever played it, when I left the vault, all I had was the uh, the BB and the pistol, and I wandered off into the wasteland, went in the complete wrong direction. And I saw this big thing off in the distance, and I didn't know what it was. Because, again, first time playing three. So I'm about three hours into this game, just leaving the vault for the first time. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go inside this little, you know, dilapidated shack of a building, and I'm going to take a couple shots at this at this thing off in the distance. As well, you know, the pistol doesn't have the range, so I'm popping off at it with this BB rifle, and it's a freaking death claw. (laughs) 
and apparently I, I've mildly upset it because it's it's coming for me. And damn if I did not kill a death claw with a BB gun. It couldn't get inside the building to attack me. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there just dumping shots from a BB gun into this thing. I had to shoot it for 40 minutes straight to kill it. How'd you have enough ammo? <laughs> there may have been some running for my life involved several times. See, that I'm amazing. See, for me, though, what Fallout 4 was where I, I knew Deathclaws from past experience were dangerous. You know, it's one of the chief threats. Fallout 4 brought them to a whole new level because suddenly yes. they move. They're, they move fast. Yeah, so the, the one you meet in the opening, you have a minigun and power armor. It's not that scary. The next one I encountered when I first played was in the interior of the city of Boston. I see it down the long street. I hit it with a sniper rifle, shot in the head, take a third of its health. I'm like, I'm good. This is a good start. And it ducks down an alley. And I'm like, um, where'd it go? Something that big should not be able to disappear like this. And next thing, now suddenly I'm in the survival horror situation of, that is a huge, very angry thing that can take me apart with one claw, and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> it killed me. Next thing I heard was a snarl behind me, and I turned around just in time to see the claw. <laughs> wow. Not even accounting for the legendary death claws. The, ugh. Well, I was like level six. <laughs> no, my, my death claw horror experience... I was so excited to go on the mission to go to the Witch Museum in Salem. And I oh, it wasn't that far in. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I trekked across the entire length of the map. I trekked from the, the nearest point I had unlocked to Salem was Lexington. I walked from Lexington to Salem and died as soon as I got in the museum because it was a Deathclaw mission. Yep. And I was like, damn it. And, I, and to this day, I have never gone back to that museum. So, I mean, and, let, and let's be fair. Dragons are terrifying. But uh, Death Claws, it's a different kind of scary. Plus, honestly, the payoff for killing a dragon is better because you get to unlock a shout and you get all the, the goodies from the dragon. Death Claw loot isn't that good. True. It's, not, I mean, it's almost better yeah. to run. Which is actually in keeping with the series. That's true. Yeah. Death Claw loot... I, although in, in the in the series where it's like this is a random cat that drops a minigun, it's like what? How does that work? Uh, although so at least they don't do that. To be fair, when I got survival mode, I did end up in a situation where I was going to die of hunger, and the only thing I could find that would have meat was a death claw. So suddenly, that death claw was worth every bullet. <laughs> the sweet, sweet taste of death claw. Well. Better die. <laughs> and, and we'll move on because that includes cooking, and that's one of those odd little side things. Let's finally wrap this up with intangibles. Uh, intangibles, inventory management, looting system, leveling up, cooking, lock picking, the, the things that are intangible to the gameplay. Uh, Jason, do you think Fallout has the better intangibles, or do you think Elder Scrolls does? Well, as has been the theme with each of these questions, ouch, not easy. <laughs> so, no, it's not. I'm going to kind of ignore inventory management because, frankly, I think Fallout wins that by default thanks to the Pip-Boy. It's, yeah. it's not only atmospheric, it's very well-structured in, in almost every game. The and only it, thing that maybe Skyrim has better than is the, the Pip-Boy's map isn't as descriptive. That's true. Fair enough. But otherwise, I would go with Pit-Boy 100% as well. Now, if we move the loot system, this is where I definitely swing to the Elder Scrolls. But mostly because of Morrowind. Because Oblivion and Skyrim started falling away from this. I loved in Morrowind that if I was in, for example, a Dwimmer Ruin, I would find Dwimmer weapons, Dwimmer armor. Whereas in Skyrim... I walk into a Dwemer Ruin and I find an ancient Daedric sword or a bunch of orcish gear in what should be a room that no one's possibly been in for the last 90, 100 years. That 
is something that actually annoys me a little bit. I prefer the loot to be where it should be. Yeah. And that's also why Fallout falls away a bit, because you can find some of the weirdest things on creatures and inside boxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So See, at least when you loot uh, weird stuff... Hmm. At least when you loot, like, really weird crap from dragons, you can just go, he probably ate someone who was carrying it. You, you know, you can, yeah. you can at least put that hand wave in there. But, but, when, but yeah, <laughs> like if 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 you're in that uh, the the underground Dwimmer city that I can't pronounce the name of because it has far too many consonants and not that nearly not enough vowels. <laughs> uh, the one with uh, the 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 jar and root in it. Oh, Blackreach. Yeah, the Blackreach. Yeah, it's it's like. You know, if, if if I see glass or ebony armor down there, I'm asking questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, so that's loot. Um, side quests? Ah, yeah. It's, it's a toss-up. Both games, at different points, have had amazing side quests. I mean, you guys were going on about Lincoln's Head and Fallout 3. I mean, Skyrim has some terrific little side notes with things you can just find, like the um, lighthouse in the far north. Yes. I love the story that where you go to a bar in Whiterun and you end up awake inside <laughs> a temple across the map. I love uh, that yes. one. <laughs> but um, the, the, both games, though, do a great job with one of the things I love about a side quest, which is not always telling you everything, but letting you walk into an environment and start picking up on just what happened and starting to co- ask your own questions of why is there blood here? Why is this note half written? Where are the people that should be here? What's going on? Who's this creepy dude in Megaton wearing a suit asking me to blow up the town that he's physically inside of? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that might be the most iconic side quest in either game, like either franchise. Have and- either of you ever not just shot that dude in the face? Cause I, I always just shoot the guy in the face. I, I didn't know to do that. I let I accidentally let him kill the mayor. I, I shot him after he killed the mayor. Uh, but I, I didn't realize. I may have blown up Megaton. <laughs> I uh, one of my favorite character designs in a Fallout game is an assassin sniper who has one key mandate: he will always complete a job from the person who gave it to him. Doesn't change once the terms are set. I ran in that guy, he offered me a job, I accepted, I carried out the job. Fair enough, you stayed true to your concept. I've heard that dealing with uh, the White Run science lady after the bomb is rather funny in a dark way. White Run? Uh, what was her name, like Moira or Moira. something? Moira, yes. Not White Run, Megaton. Moira, uh, yeah, Moira. I, is, she's still that basically a ghoul. bonkers. She's yep. nuts. But no, and, I've never actually blown up Megaton, so kudos to you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> She's like a Mel Brooks version of Q. Pretty much. Without the Go superpowers. Go kill some mole rats with this pole. No, no, not Q from Star Trek, Q from James Bond. Oh, in that case, yes, entirely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess the final vote? Ay, jeez. Elder Scrolls technically, but once again, that's a really, really slim margin. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to have to narrowly give it to Elder Scrolls for the same reasons. For the intangibles? Yeah. And I, I'm going to narrowly give it to Fallout. I really like... Uh, I like some of the things in Fallout, particularly... I, I like in... Um, I like the lockpicking better in Fallout, which I think is why they started using that same system in Skyrim. Uh, I liked the, the special... I like this, the components for special and that you can assign uh, points to what you want, which makes sense. And I really do like some of the side quests in Fallout. I love some of the side quests in Elder Scrolls as well, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I've been really engrossed by some of the side quests in the Fallout universe. Like I was saying with New Vegas, I mean, you can go on a whole sideline quest where you are like, you know, running, you're, you are the house running over the casino. And at any given time, you can do this and this and this and this. And the thing I loved about the side quest in New Vegas particularly 
is almost all the side quests related at least tangentially back to the main story uh, of, of the changes in New Vegas, which I really enjoyed. I also like how in both games you can acquire companions through side quests and not even realize it's a companion quest until they offer to join you. Hmm. Uh, which I think is really good because that's, I mean, you don't go to, up to somebody and be like, hey, do this, you know, uh, we're going to go on this quest together and then I'm going to join your party. It, it, it wouldn't work like that. So I like the way that, that they handle that. And by the way, I am Team Nick Valentine on Fallout 4. Though, uh, I do have to throw in one shout out there because Rachel will kill me if I don't. <laughs> but one thing that uh, Fallout has that Elder Scrolls does not, and I think this would fall under the intangibles, dog meat. Ooh. Aww. That's, that's a good, that's a good call. That, that, oh. That, I, Fallout 4 crystallizes my opinion on dog meat, because I found him, and of course, you know, you have that iconic moment of, excellent, here's dog meat, this is definitely a Fallout game, let's go. First bandits I meet, shoot dog meat. My knee-jerk reaction was to target the leg he kicked him with and blow it off. <laughs> You're my kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you can do that. Oh, exactly. You want to kick my dog? I hope you didn't like that leg, because we're going to do something about that now. <laughs> Although I love when dog meat does it himself and rips off the leg himself like it's a turkey leg. Like, oh, you wanted me to eat this? Why, thank you. <laughs> but you're right. Elder Scrolls does not have that. They have the horse. Uh, that does not count. Not the same? No. The horse doesn't eat people. So what if the next, if Elder Scrolls 6 introduced a dog companion? Uh, that doesn't actually ha- uh, pseudo-happens temporarily in Skyrim. Well, yeah, you have that dog that's actually the channel for a Daedric god. Well, and there's the one you can find in the hut that had its his masters died, um, Muki, Muki, I think something like that. Oh yeah. I can't remember his name. The problem is there's not the history because Fallout Dogmeat's just I think he started in game one. I think so. Dogmeat's been in every single game. So, well, actually, wait, New Vegas. Technically, he was not. No, there's there no were dog, dog in New Vegas. Yeah, that's there were, true. There were dog campaigns, but they were not dog meat. Although one looked a lot like him, just a cyborg. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But, Though they, uh, Bethesda has confirmed that the dog meats in one, two, three, and four are all, th- those dogs are actually from a singular uh, lineage. They're all actually genetically related. Oh, I just assume so, and I wouldn't let anyone tell me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bethesda actually came out and said it several years ago. That's amazing. That's continuity for you. And doggone it, I like it. Oh, you are barking up the wrong tree. Well, uh, did oh, I give God, you a pause? Are you, are you trying to encourage him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we get man. into a pun-off that has an, a never-ending story, it's time to wrap it up with our overall pick. This is what we've been building to for the past hour. Gentlemen, it is now time to pick the better RPG franchise... The Elder Scrolls or Fallout. Jason, I will give you the first word. I hate you for making me make this choice. <laughs> you knew what you were getting into when you came on the show. True. Elder Scrolls. Winner! Matt, will you agree or disagree? I will concur. I'm going to say Elder Scrolls. With the with the caveat that ESO can bite me. ha 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 ha. I mm. wanted to give it to Elder Scrolls because of Patrick Stewart uh, with Oblivion. However, my heart is in Fallout because, like my man Johnny Guitar, it's just so good. Uh, quoted two different songs there. I really do love the Fallout universe. It is, even before all the hype of Fallout 4 and it became the, the end game again, Fallout was my game. I mean, some people say that, you know, Skyrim is their game, Pokemon is their game, Fallout is my game. And I'd be I wouldn't be true to myself if I picked Elder Scrolls. So I've gotta pick Fallout. But you know who has the final say, gentlemen? Our listeners. Our listeners of course have the final say, and we want you to let us know if you think the Elder Scrolls 
or Fallout is the better franchise. We'll run a poll uh, sometime next week on our Twitter page, at B&Q Podcast, and we want you to vote for either The Elder Scrolls or Fallout as the better RPG franchise. And we will let you know the results in an upcoming episode. If you have detailed observations, if you think we got something wrong, or otherwise want to use your sneak ability to sneak into our show, you can do that by sending us an email at bnqfeedback at gmail.com or bignerdyquestion at gmail.com. We appreciate your feedback immensely. Uh, And I also want to say that we are approaching uh, two milestones in terms of listeners. We are close, very close to 1,000 downloads through Podbean and iTunes, and we're very close to nearly 20,000 lifetime hits on our feed. Uh, So I want to thank you listeners a lot. We cannot thank you enough. You must have given us a charisma point, so we certainly appreciate that. Uh, So Jason... Thank you so much for joining us on B&Q. Uh, don't be a stranger. You're welcome back anytime. It's been a pleasure. And Matt, you know what you have to do. Use your strength and perception and kill the Gungan. Well, tonight it won't be me killing the Gungan because you see, Jar Jar, well, he got lost in the Capital Wasteland. <laughs> and he didn't take any food with him because, well, he's an idiot. And just before he could starve to death, on the horizon, he saw he saw he saw a, a small creature, and he took a shot at it and missed, but it came for him, and that is how Jar Jar Binks became dinner for dog meat. <laughs> Poor dog meat. <laughs> no dog meats were harmed in the making of this death. <laughs> Jar Jar is dead, but B&Q shall live on. For Jason and Matt, this is Josh wishing you a happy exploration of whichever universe you desire. Good night, everybody.